Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. We're going to endeavor to tie everything together with one of the theme scriptures of this conference, which is in Revelation. And let me read it to you. Uh, This has been one of my favorites, I guess, my whole life since I've known the Lord. But uh, this is from Revelation chapter 7, and it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is, this is a picture, really, of where all this missions talk is heading. And the one that's most excited about this of all, that's more excited than any of us here, is Jesus. This has been, the world has been moving to this point for a very long time. You know, I hadn't even thought to mention it, but it flashed in my mind while we were sitting there that uh, Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, and you all know the story, and the, the peoples of the world got together. And of course, at that time, everybody spoke the same language, and they got together and they said, let's build a tower that reaches up to the heavens and we'll make a name for ourselves. And the Bible says the Lord came down and said, this is not cool. <laughs> came down and said, this is not good what they're doing. And I got to stop that because this isn't, this whole world, this whole creation, uh, even the people that God loves and breathes on, and it's really all about God and his glory. And we get to share in it. And he gave his life so we can share in it. But when people started thinking it was about them, God said, no, no, that's way off base. I have to straighten them out. I'll confuse their languages. And uh, so when you read things like this in Revelation, you kind of get the, if you, if you know the whole story of Scripture, you get the realization that everything's going to come full circle, and what God's been doing since the time of Babylon, I mean, he's the one that confused the languages and scattered people around the earth. But he's got everybody on this plan where they're going to find out that it's not really about them, it's about me and how much I love them. And that I created them in my image, not to worship themselves, but so they could have relationship with me. And I'm going to steer all of history toward this point Where all those people that never understood each other and thought each other were crazy are suddenly all together as one, worshiping and honoring Jesus Christ. It is an awesome thing when you you realize that this is the heartbeat of God. Nations are the heartbeat of God. God, and this is something that really struck me as we just finished this book that is, will soon be in print about, particularly about God's heart for America. But I've learned this as we've traveled the nations of the world, that God has a particular love. I mean, he loves everybody, but he has a particular love for every people group. 
and in a particular excitement about every nation so that I, I, I'm able to stand with integrity in India and, you so, and, and say, you know, Jesus is, is crazy in love with the people of India and the people of India need to know that. that it's just not, well, we're human and so he loves us. No, God loves Indian people and God loves Cameroonian people. Did I say that right, Ernest? Cameroonian? You're Cameroonian now. By the way, when I was reading Revelation, I got a revelation this morning from you, Ernest. When I was reading again Revelation 7, I was like, oh, I learned something today. Like one-tenth of these people are going to know Ernest because he knows ten languages. So he's like, you figure largely in this picture, brother. I never met anybody that knows ten languages. But anyway, I'm getting off track. But he loves Cameroonians. He's, he, he's excited about our unique differences, and he's excited about the fact that he has the power only. He has the power to bring us all together to where we, there's no separation between us. There's no, there's no who's going to get the glory between us. Somebody was talking to me, uh, I, I think Russell, before the service and saying, you know, just what a wonderful spirit is in the meetings here. And uh, we were just talking about the fact that that's because, you know, you go some places and people are competitive and they're worried about who gets to talk and how long. And everybody's just so gentle and sweet and humble. And I said, man, part of that has to do with they have leadership like that in this church. But I so appreciate all these the missionaries that are here. They're, they're so gracious, so celebratory of one another and uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing, Pastor Scott, to be able to gather a group of people like that that are just not like, well, I hope I get the money, you know, and uh, I'll pray for that one. But they're just like all rooting for each other. That's the kingdom of God. That's the picture in Revelation 7. So it's good and it's okay and it's right to be excited about the nations of the world. One of the other key verses of this conference that we have not mentioned yet, but the missions committee felt led to this verse, so I have to mention it tonight in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. I want to tell you an interesting side note about that verse. That's been one of my favorite verses for years. The first time I came to HCF, I think the first or second time, um, they had a gift basket. And this I, wasn't a missions conference. We were here for another event preaching, but there was a gift basket. And the person that prepared it had put a plaque in it. And the plaque was a, it was about this big, black, and in gold letters, it had Psalm 2.8. And I'd never said to anybody here that that was a life verse for me. Psalm 2 said, really felt to give you this, ask of me and I'll give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as, as your possession. And it's right above my desk in my office now over a world map. And uh, I always think of HCF when I look at it, but I also think of the power of that scripture because I had an interesting experience spiritually with that scripture. Uh, I was praying it. And I learned over the years to pray that. I, God gave me a heart for the nation, so I pray it. Lord, and, and you know, what does that even mean? Ask of me. And I was praying it, saying, Lord, give me the privilege to be part of reaching the nations. And Lord, whatever ends of the earth you would send us to, uh, let that come to pass. Do you know the devil knows scripture very well? You remember in the wilderness when he tempted Jesus, he always quoted scripture? 
So I was praying that, and I heard this clear, like, mocking voice. And, and it was clear as day. It said, well, you know that's a messianic psalm. That applies to Jesus, and it's stupid for you to be praying that, as if, it, as if it, you can claim it for yourself. I mean, it was just like the most condemning. And it, I kind of, it made me shudder for a moment, because I know that's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that's talking about the dominion of Jesus, and obviously we know that uh, the ends of the earth are his possession, and the nations are his inheritance. So there was this brief moment where I, I, I kind of, got shook and I thought, maybe I've been praying something wrong. Well, there's somebody else in the room and uh, that person happens to live inside me. And immediately I heard the counterpunch. I heard, well, yes, it is a messianic psalm, but you happen to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ and you're allowed to pray into those things that he inherits because you inherit them with him. So it's like, well, there you go, devil. Jesus says, I can keep praying for the nations. So, you know, this is important to God. And it also struck me how scared the enemy is of you and I getting excited about reaching the nations of the world. This is why he works so hard to close our hearts to people of other ethnic groups. He works very hard to get us upset about... Uh, people moving into our neighborhood. It, it, this is the devil works overtime on this. And our country is going through this right now in a big way where a lot of people are like, can we just like, you know, just be America? And why do we got to worry about the rest of the world? The reason you have to is because Jesus thinks about the rest of the world. And you're a joint heir with him, a co-inheritor with him. And if the nations are all coming under his umbrella, then the church also has to take the nations under their umbrella and in some fashion or another and, and feel the heartbeat of God. You know, this is, this is not a new thing. This has been the program from the beginning. And I want you to look at Genesis 18 for a few minutes this evening. And uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just help us to get uh, this little nugget from the Lord. But uh, partnering with God for reaching the nations. I started to say that in the book that we just finished, one of the things that, that really birthed that was for myself... Uh, getting God's heartbeat for our own nation. And I, I, I've had a heart for the international world since I was a kid, but I, I didn't have much of a heart for our own country. But as God began to show us things in our travels around the United States, I, I found out it's okay to say Jesus loves America. You know, and, and I'm telling you, you cannot serve or bless or help any nation if you're mad at it. You just cannot. You can't. You can't, whether it's Cameroon, whether it's America, whether it's Nepal, whether it's Honduras, whether it's Mexico, whether it's China, whatever it is, if you're mad and angry and if you're like, God, when are you going to smite these people the way they deserve to be smit or smitten? <laughs> you know, if that's the way you think, if that's the way we think, we are not going to be able to be instruments of the grace of God. And so somehow we have to catch the heart of God. And I believe one of the things the Lord's doing right here in our nation, and I appreciate that there's a lot of local ministries represented in this 
conference. And a lot of people local right out of this church and reaching this county or the tri-county area. I, I appreciate that because if we don't get the heart of God, we can't help our community. And, and getting the heart of God is not just, you know, they all need to be saved. Getting the heart of God is really like he's crazy in love with the lost. And he shed his blood for them and he wants to reach them and he needs someone to understand that's his primary disposition. And people like to say, well, what about judgment? Hey, there's coming a judgment day and God's going to make everything right. But between now and then, he is on a quest to let this world know, I love you in spite of your broken, awful selves. I love you and I want to help you and I want to heal you. I want to set you free. So somehow... There's got to be a way. The, the, one, one of the theme concepts they had put in the information they sent us was with Revelation 7. Okay, that's a great picture. That's awesome. But, you know, what, how does what we do make that into reality? How do we populate that scripture? So I just want to take a moment and talk about partnering with this merciful mission of God. And in Genesis chapter 18, the Lord has come down. And he's in the process of reminding Abraham that he promised him that in a year you are going to have a son named Isaac. And at this point in Abraham's life, Abraham's 99 years old. He's already had Ishmael 12 years earlier, but, but Sarah is still barren. And, uh, and Sarah and Abraham have not had a son. They had, he had Ishmael with Hagar, her maid. And so uh, God comes back, and he had been visiting Abraham recently, but he, in chapter 17, but he comes back again and he repeats the same thing. And this passage often struck me. It's like God had just laid this all out in chapter 17, but he comes back in chapter 18 to remind him of the promise. But one of the things I learned is this was not the total reason why he reappeared to Abraham in chapter 18. There was something very important that he wanted to involve Abraham in. And we can link it all the way up to Revelation 7. He wanted to link his servant Abraham in to the very purpose for which he had called him out and the very purpose for which he had covenanted with him and the whole reason why he was going to have a son named Isaac. And basically, God came down in chapter 18 to say, you know, I want to invite you into the way I'm going to work in this world for the coming several thousand years. And the way that everybody that comes after you is going to have opportunity to partner with me that comes from your line. All right, that's a little convoluted introduction, but just look at these verses. So they've, they've gone over again the fact that Isaac is going to be born. And then it says in verse 16, and, and just understand that this is, not, this is not like incidental. This is a very intentional, purposeful action of God. In verse 16 it says, then the men rose from there. So the Lord appeared in the form of a man and there were two others with him. And we don't know the exact identity layout here, but maybe they were angels. Maybe, but, but we know one of them represents the Lord. One of them is the Lord uh, appearing as a man. It says, the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And it sounds incidental here, but it's not. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham 
what I am doing. Now, you know, God is never in a conundrum. God's not ever scratching his head saying, what should I do here? I mean, God knows exactly what he's going to do here. Just like he knows exactly what he's going to do in your ministry and in your calling, and he's never scratching his head trying to figure out what you should do next. He got it all mapped out. So he knows exactly what is happening here. But what he's doing is he's getting ready to invite Abraham. And I honestly, I believe this is written for our benefit. I believe this is written to give us an insight into the way God thinks and the way and reason why God calls us to partner with him. God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since, for this reason, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, listen, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing, what is going on in relation to Sodom? Because he is going to become a great nation and all the nations, all the language groups, all the people, all the tribes, all of them are going to be blessed in him or are going to find out about the goodness of God, the character of God through what I have started with him. That was the plan from the beginning. That was what every future mission conference would be about from the beginning. It was about the world, the nations, the scattered peoples discovering that the God who scattered them wanted nothing more than to bring them back together under the banner of his love for the glory of Jesus Christ. I have raised him up for this reason so that the nations of the earth would be blessed for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. In other words, I, I want to share with him what the purpose for which I raised him up, the very purpose for which he will organize his family, they'll understand that their divine destiny as a family is to bring the blessing, the goodness, the character of God into the nations of the earth, to reveal God, to reveal who he really is. So can you imagine if we're all judgment obsessed? Nobody's finding out who God is. They're just finding out he's scary, but they're not finding out he died on the cross, that he's love, that he's mercy that he's compassion, that he's salvation. You know, in Revelation 7, the nations, what are they singing? They're singing about the salvation of God. Their overwhelming conscious thought is, he gave his life for us. This is who God really is. He loves us, and here we all are from all these, every people group on earth gathered around celebrating that we got to find out who God really is. So, I want to let him know what I'm about to do. But it's not just information. It is an invitation. If you study this, God is really setting Abraham up to practice the purpose for which he has come into relationship with God. This is a setup, an invitation for Abraham to begin practicing the purpose for which he has come into relationship with God. And what is it he's got to practice? What, is he, what has he got to learn? He's got to 
practice to learn to partner with God's desire to show mercy. God's desire, if God had no interest in showing mercy in this setting, he had no reason at all to tell Abraham what he was going to do. Isn't that logical? If he had no desire to find someone who would partner with his heart, he'd have no reason to tell Abraham what he was going to do. But he's provoking Abraham so that Abraham will respond and begin to understand his calling. And I think right now in our own nation, God is provoking us so that we will remember why we came together as a church all along to begin with. It's so that we could be part of the mission and part of sharing the happy, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. So, very quickly, what does Abraham need to do in order to partner with mercy? This is why it's a big deal to Abraham. His nephew Lot is in Sodom. And Sodom, you know, is a wicked city. But Lot is there. And the scripture tells us, right where Pastor Scott read from last night, one chapter earlier in Second Peter chapter 2, tells us that Lot was a righteous man. But the Bible says, very interesting, it says... And his righteous soul was tormented day and night, like vexed by the way the people lived. And recently I was reading that and I thought, he was tormented, but he must not have been that tormented because he never moved. <laughs> he, 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 he stayed in Sodom. He raised his kids in Sodom. His family got immersed in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot kept himself clean, but Lot could not get himself out of the situation that he was in. And so here was the heart of God. There are people that are stuck in circumstances from which they need to be extricated, but they don't know how to get themselves out. And we have nations around the world. See, that's why we cannot say, well, you know, let the Chinese take care of China. Why should I worry about uh, some country in Africa? Why, you know, why, why? Let, let people fix themselves. And, and what the Lord would say to us is about a nation or a tribal group is the same thing he might say about our neighbor. Some people cannot get themselves out. People without God cannot get themselves out. Addicts who don't know the power of God can't get themselves out. You know, just say no is the, was the worst campaign ever. Because when you're bound, it, no doesn't help you. So there's people that are bound, entire people groups that are bound by darkness, entire nations. We have nations in this world where there's very little light and darkness seems to be everywhere. And God isn't looking saying, man, that is a lost cause. God is saying, I want to get them out. There's, there's language groups that have never heard the name of Jesus, and so they, they have no recourse other than idolatry. They don't know anything else, fear. And God's looking and saying, I want to get them out. And I believe God is looking at Lot and saying, I want to get him out. He's, you know, it's his own fault, honestly. And this is a, a big problem is when we say, well, you know, it's their, they made their bed, let them lie in it. Or, or that's what they chose, so let them deal with it. Lot chose to stay there. 
He chose to move there, and then he chose to not move out of there. And yet God, so merciful, that it's like, but, but that's, you know, just people getting what they deserve is, it's not what it's all, the program's all about. Getting them out is what the program's all about. Getting people out of darkness is what it's all about. So Abraham, I'm going to tell you that there's a city and, I, and my justice demands that I deal with it, but in the middle of dealing with it, I really want someone to agree with my mercy. And so what does Abraham have to do? It's a good Just short parable for us. What do we have to do? You know the first thing Abraham has to do to be a partner with God's mercy? He has to get over his own offense with Lot. Because Lot, his nephew, ripped him off. Lot, his nephew, dishonored him. I mean, Lot was so bad to his uncle, taking the best land for himself, that Abraham had to kind of turn to God and say, what is there for me? Because my family, you know, sold me down the river. The first thing Abraham has to do is deal with his own heart, or he can't accept God's invitation. That's why it's so critical we keep our hearts soft and that we keep forgiving. And if we can't forgive our family members and our neighbors, why are we ever going to care enough to forgive people internationally that maybe hate you for your culture or that hate you for being in a prosperous nation? But we've got to deal with our hearts. And Abraham obviously deals with his heart. And it's so interesting to me to read the way he responds when the Lord explains what he's about to do. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is really serious, so I'm going to go down and see whether they've done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I'm going to know about it. And then what they did, what the Lord did, is just turn and start walking away from Abraham. Just started walking away from him, and went towards Sodom. And the Bible says, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then verse 23, and Abraham came near. So they're walking away from him, and the picture is one of Abraham says, well, just a minute. We need, we got to talk. I, I can't deal with the thought of what you just said, because My nephew lives there. And inside, the Lord's quietly thinking, I know your nephew lives there. That's exactly why we're having this conversation. But he didn't disclose that to Abraham. He's inviting quietly, Abraham, will you you join my heart? Will you join my heart for a city that is like the worst city in, in your entire area? Will you join my heart? Because I'm really looking for somebody, some missionary that will will understand the merciful character of God. It's so disturbing when people say, we hear it in church all the time, well, you know, there's a God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. God doesn't change. He's perfect love from the beginning. He's also perfect justice from the beginning. But there's no Old Testament God and New Testament God. God is good and loving, and he's wanted and longed for his, those created in his image to be partnered with his family from day one, from the time of Adam and Eve. So Abraham deals with his heart, but then he gets right up. He goes right after God. And that's where I say to you, it's okay for you to pursue the Lord about the burdens of his heart. Not just waiting, well, okay, God, if you want me to do something. But I say, God, no, there's a problem. I, I would like to be part of fixing it. 
And I, I think this is happening in the body of Christ where many of God's people are understanding it's okay to pursue God and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. You know, I, I, Lord, I want to... I, I was thinking, Don, when you were talking, is Don, right? Don Barlow. I was thinking when you were talking, I thought, well, you know, I don't even know how to really put a, you, uh, screw something in, but I can paint. So, but just like, just hearing your excitement and your heart and your passion, I thought, wouldn't everybody want to be working with Don because he's doing the work of God and it's exciting and something everybody can be a part of. And, and God is looking for that kind of, boldness from you and I gets right in the Lord's face and starts to challenge the reasoning of God from a human perspective. He comes near and he says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Hey, if there are 50 righteous within the city, are you going to destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? And then I just love this. He says, far be it from you to do something like that. That is not the God I left Ur of the Chaldees for. Now, I don't know everything about you, God, but I learned enough on my short journey so far, these 99 years, that you, that's just, you're not that type of God. You're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Won't the judge of the earth do right? God's looking for that today from his people. God's looking for boldness in his presence. God's looking for people who won't get before him and say, God, deal with these sinners. No. God's looking for people who say, Lord, show mercy. Show mercy. Show mercy. I got to race right to the end here. You know the whole sequence of petition, and the number kept dropping. Well, if there's 30, if there's 35, 40. And you know what? God never blinked. God, whatever Abraham said, whatever Abraham said, God said, I'll do it. Now that, that, that's a concept that a lot of us have a hard time with in the church, but I think sometimes God just saying, is, do, you, do you want people to know me as much as I want people to know me? If you be in touch with my spirit within you, you will feel things you never imagined you could feel. You'll weep for people you never cared about before. Suddenly you won't be able to stand the thought of your neighbor not knowing Jesus Christ. If, you, if you'll partner with me, you'll become really what I want you to become, which is someone that who comes before me says, I know who you are. You're merciful. You're gracious. You're gentle. Would you spare the city? He got all the way down to 10. Verse 20, 32, it says, uh, he says, <laughs> this is funny. Now, don't let the Lord be angry, but I'm going to speak once more. Suppose 10 should be found there, and he said, I won't destroy it for the sake of 10. And honestly, I believe if he'd gone down to two, God wouldn't have been angry. God was willing to be as merciful as Abraham would believe him to be. And God is looking for churches and missionaries and church members that get a revelation of the mercy of God and become partners with God in plucking people out of places they cannot get out of. That is, that's how this beautiful story ends, is that uh, 
You know, God goes on his way and sends angels. The angels go down to the city and they beg and plead with Lot, but Lot's not going to leave. Lot's not going nowhere. He's, you know, he's entrenched and tries to leave, but he can't. And then finally, finally, the Lord has to instruct them, you pull that boy out of there because his uncle prayed and I want to save him. I want to deliver him. Abraham did what I created him to do. And so, yeah, he doesn't even want to go, but he's going whether he wants to or not. There are nations right now, people groups who spit in the face of Jesus, but I'll tell you, Jesus can take a lot. He can take it. I mean, he took the cross. So it doesn't repel him. He's like, yeah, you don't know how much I love you. Curse away, because I'm going to save you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to grab you. And I, uh, I just read that verse. Verse 16 says, while he lingered, and I'll invite the worship team to come. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Listen, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now, this is a case of the sovereign mercy of God partnering with the intercession of a servant of God. God, I mean, God says, you, you're going to get saved. <laughs> I'm going to save you because somebody prayed for you. Abraham goes out the next morning. And horror of horrors, he sees the smoke, the fire, the volcanic ash, whatever it was. Can you imagine how he felt in that moment? He has no knowledge that God spared Lot. But listen to how the Lord ends it. It says in verse 29, one of my, it's become one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. God remembered Abraham. Missionary, you have the capacity to move the hands of God, the heart of God. Church, you have the capacity to bring the grace and mercy of God into your community. That's what this is all about. We're marching towards Revelation 7, and it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good when we get there, and it's going to be good on the way. Jesus, would you help us to be partnered with your mercy? Would you help us, Jesus? Just deliver us of all the offenses that we have with people, with nations, with neighbors, with family. Deliver us so that we can just be ambassadors of peace and love and salvation. Help us to be part of that process of marching toward that great day when every people, tribe, language, and tongue will be gathered before the throne. Jesus, give us a heart to be those that stand in the gap and bring your love to a broken world.
Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.